Welcome to the podcast. I'm Corey. I'm Jen. I'm Natalie. I'm Ginny, and we are the Art History Babes. We're here. Hello. And together. Or, well, Corey's still there, but we're here. And her voice is here. I wish I was there. I want to be there. Yeah. I want us all to be together. So, Corey is coming to us today from beautiful... Where are you? (laughs) (laughs) You're all over the place. And so, I'm not sure where you're you're at right now. South Dakota. South Dakota. So, so Dak. Yeah. Right? It sounded so natural. Sodak. <laughs> yeah, we're coming to you today from the lovely suburban South Sacramento. I moved. I don't live in a 300 square foot studio anymore. So um, celebrate Madonna. me. Um, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> if you want to get a little peek of South Dakota. I'm currently editing a South Dakota vlog that's going to go up on our YouTube channel. So hit up our YouTube channel. Got to give shouts out to YouTube. Also, Nat just finished an awesome Chicago vlog that's going to be up as well. So you should probably check all that out. Yeah, please. I can't wait this to see it. First try. So be gentle, people. Oh, I went too high on the volume. Overcorrected. <laughs> behind the scenes people this is it's super good though i just watched it today and i was like hell yeah so definitely check out the vlogs on our youtube channel it'll be a little trailer for when Corey moves to chicago and does a shitload of amazing chicago content Mm -hmm. so this will just be a little Mm -hmm. teaser to get you guys excited yes you guys so much chicago so much chicago content is going to be coming your way like so much chicago yeah it's wild i i feel like these places in the united states that are so amazing i i want to visit but i also am scared because (laughs) of the fact that chicago got to like negative 50 or something degrees in in january (laughs) yeah um that was wild i was following that polar vortex news with just the most concern but also this weird kind of perversion Mm. where i was like wow sucks to be y'all i'm in california it's 60 degrees right now but also like it's very sad that people like froze to death and stuff so <laughs> yeah, that um, is sad. you know uh rest in peace and uh i hope that that doesn't happen again yeah so while you were following that i was living it <laughs> i know well that's why i was following it because i don't know anyone that lives out there but now i do and i was like <gasps> Corey stay warm it's so it's so weird because you like you adapt to it really fast you're like oh it's negative 20 okay like you just like kind of adapt to it you don't spend too much time outside right because you'll die (laughs) i'm so soft jesus yeah just thinking through this whole conversation same you know what we we're spoiled that's one thing about growing up in the midwest is you fucking learn how to survive like it's like a i don't know it's hard to explain like it's just it's something you experience every year like there was this quote in this movie i liked where um the main character lived in like maine or something and she talked about how she she liked the feeling of earning her seasons Hmm. and i like understood that as a midwesterner like you you learn how to survive and like the summer means more because the winter's so bad. Gosh. Sure. <laughs> it's kind sure. of like a, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It's a, it's a whole That's thing. That's kind of beautiful, but also I'm 
I'm good. I wonder if that's why we're such complainers here in California. <laughs> just like bitching all the time. And we're just like, like we got it. a little bit of rain last month. <laughs> yeah. It was like unseasonable, the amount of rain. And just everyone was like, this fucking sucks. <laughs> Truly, it's true. So you upset. literally were just complaining about the yeah. weather in San Francisco. <laughs> By the <I> way, <laughs> Jenny lives in San Francisco, which... I think to many of our listeners, they'd be like, what? How does anyone make that happen? It's, fam- <laughs> it's famously hard to do to live in San Francisco. Um, so I just wanted to point that out, that Ginny's making it happen. Thank and you. that's really cool. But it's- also it rained in San Francisco yeah. and everyone was really unhappy everyone about it. Oh, <laughs> uh, California. I miss it. I miss it. We miss you. Oh. We've already been talking for like 15 minutes, so we should probably keep moving along. Ah, beans. This is a podcast about art (laughs) (laughs) and weather. I posted on Instagram today about this episode and our listeners are fucking Mm -hmm. stoked. Yeah, yeah. Because we are going to be talking about Anna Mendieta and I'm fucking stoked for this episode. Like, oh my God, I have so much to say. I think it's going to be good. But before we get into it, first, this episode is brought to you by soap. Soap. (laughs) (laughs) Couldn't contain myself. Soap. It is brought to you by soap. We got some friends of the art history babes that are in the soap business. And we just want to talk to you about them for a second. The company is called Trinova. And they they make green soaps. They make plant-based soaps. And we've all had a chance to try them out. What did you guys think of Trinova? Fresh and gentle. Honestly, I think that it's the coolest idea. Just less packaging, really Word. concentrated stuff that you can just water down to your preference. You can get a real watery soap. You can get a real thick soap. Um, you know, it's a soap of yours um, and of your making. And I know it's, it's funny, but I mean, it's also just like, it's, I have never, I just want to say that I'm at a, a point in my adulthood and in my life where I get really excited about cleaning products. I just do. And this is amazing. We got soap. We got sponges and scrubbers. I got some leather cleaner and a leather conditioner. Gonna finally be a good leather mama and take care of my jacket and shoes and stuff that I don't take care of. Trinova hooked it up and uh, we're very happy with our products. And I just believe that in our world of crazy plastic packaging and just all kinds of borderline apocalyptic news of just how we're killing the planet. It's good to do some eco-friendly consumerism by Trinova <laughs> and use their soap. <laughs> It's a great product and you get a lot for your money. They're a family-owned Chicago-based business made in the USA. So you have like, you know, they're an independent company. You're not like funding some huge corporation. They have a connection to us. They're real people that we know. And they're, yeah, making these really valuable plant-based products. And if you want to check them out for all your cleaning needs, you can head over to Amazon.com slash Trinova. Trinova is spelled T-R-I-N-O-V-A. And you can get 20% off using the code HISTORYBABES. 
That's H-I-S-T-O-R-Y-B-A-B-E-S. Trinova. It's a soap of yours. <laughs> I think they should um, adopt my slogan. Let's copyright it. So it it's, it's yeah, soap. they yes. have to pay us. Yes. <laughs> also, before we finally get into all this amazing information about Anna Mendieta, we have a big announcement that we've been kind of teasing about for a while. Ooh. And it's very exciting. I'm very excited. Are you guys excited? I'm excited. I just told Ginny before we started recording that this is probably the coolest thing that's <laughs> ever happened to me. Yeah. 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 So yeah. it's Una- pretty big deal. This yeah. is the coolest thing collectively. <laughs> yeah. This is a humongous deal. Yeah. So uh, yeah, Corey, spill the beans. The art history babes are writing a book. We're writing a book. Yeah. A book. Ham horn. Me, 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 me. <laughs> a fucking book. A fucking book. Ooh. We are working on a honest art dictionary of sorts. It's basically going to be kind of a, I mean, it's going to be a dictionary of art terms and art history terms, but like in our laid back voice like it's going to be basically you know our take on all of the art vocabulary you need to get through the art world and yeah we just started writing it we got a book deal it's slated to be out September of 2020 mm-hmm. we're very excited we're very grateful and yeah, we just wanted to share with you guys so you can be kind of on the lookout for that. Woo! Indeed. I'm so excited. This is a really big deal for all of us. We are very excited to be published and we've been dying to share this news. Now we're in the safe zone. We signed the deal and now it's good to go. Our little baby book is now gestating and in yeah. in our collective womb in our yes. collective womb oh oh yes. <laughs> i like that so yeah be on the lookout for our book september 2020 it might be a virgo it might be a libra we don't know but we got one of each in the podcast and so it's gonna be good yeah it's gonna be good it's gonna be good and uh yeah we're gonna be working our asses off writing a book this summer so send us your good like motivational vibes we really appreciate that yep yep (laughs) yes please I know I'm a little bit um (laughs) overwhelmed but in a good way so Oh, oh. You know, like in Hocus Pocus, when <laughs> yes. the main witch has her magical book and she'll just go out, stick her head out yes. the window and yes. sing like, book. Yeah. You know that? And it's then it's kind of like what I imagine yeah. we'll do towards the end of this journey and then it will come flying through the window. <laughs> yeah. I will definitely be screaming the word book yes. um, a lot this yes. summer. So um, yes. if anyone is in the Sacramento me, area like, drunk and, and lost at yeah. a party shouting book, it runs into me and I'm just like, ah, book. Yeah. Just know that I'm really going through it. <laughs> That is a very like good visualization, I Thank think, you. for all of us. Thank you. Like when we're feeling <laughs> like when we're about ready to sit down and write, yeah. I think we should all visualize that scene. Call for Hocus Pocus. Yes. Yeah. Call the book to us. Yes. I think that's I think that is that is a good way to go about it for Thank sure. You. Yep. Oh man, <laughs> just all kinds of good news. Gosh, very excited. And <sighs> I think with that 
having been said, we got all orders of business done. And now I would really love to jump into this wild story of this amazing woman who, for reasons, human reasons, because we love drama, no one has really cared about this artist a lot until I want to say maybe around 15 years ago where the story of her death really shrouds a lot of the woman and so today we're going to try to do some justice to the story of Anna Mendieta, a Cuban artist. All right so we are talking about Anna Mendieta today and boy do I have some feelings. I have so many feelings And I think I'm going to be going down a lot of like theoretical rabbit holes during this episode. So like just a heads up, like be prepared to pull me out. I've been researching all day and I was just getting so excited. I had to drink like a glass and a half of wine before we even started because my mind was like going so fast. And I was like, if I don't chill out, none of this is going to make any sense. So like, Good call. Yeah, we all um, have been drinking. I'm kind of hungover, actually. And uh, and then I just started right back into it. So that's where I'm at, listeners. Yeah. So <laughs> that's how I'm feeling. That's how I'm feeling. And so I'm a little bit, I don't have a terrible amount of uh, patience. And so I, I will definitely pull you out of any rabbit holes so you're all good baby Jen girl is on it. so let's let's get started let's hear the story about Anna Mendieta I'm excited I'm excited for this so we'll start with just some like biographical information she was born in Havana in on November 18th 1948 which immediately I was like yes this bitch is a Scorpio like I knew that before I even looked it up I was like her work like screams Scorpio. I was like, there's no way she's not, but she's, she's a Scorpio sun, Scorpio Mercury as well, which I was like, yes. What's the rest of her chart? Gemini moon. And I couldn't find her rising. Right. Okay. um, And, and, and she's a Libra Venus because I like, I, yeah. And I'm a Scorpio Sun, Scorpio Mercury, Libra Venus. So I was very excited about that. Very cool. Yeah, Gemini Moon. And then I don't think they have her birth time, so they probably don't have her rising. You know, back in the day, they just weren't really paying attention to that. (laughs) You know? They had other things to worry about. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So, Ana Mendieta, she um, was exiled from Cuba and moved to the U.S. in 1961 via an operation. It wasn't led by, like, the United States, as many people think it was. It was actually, like, the Catholic Church within the United States, known as as Operation Peter Pan. The Catholic Church shouldn't name anything Peter Pan. That's I was about to but say, but it was it, Pedro Pan. But, yes. Yes. Pedro Pan. It. Pedro Pan. Oh my God, you guys! I kept reading it was Pedro Pan. They called it Pedro Pan. Where to? God. I thought you were just making a joke. <laughs> no. I wouldn't make that joke. That would be a horribly insensitive joke. I was like, joke. Natalie, I've never heard no, you say something I would not. so I, I so read it. That was colorful. in multiple articles. They called it the Pedro Pan project. <laughs> if you if you go to the website today, that's what it says. <laughs> Natalie yeah. just looked at me like, "Yeah, Jen." Yeah, I'm not <laughs> This 
program was meant to essentially get children from Cuba into the United States that were, you know, kind of in danger. And essentially, Ana Mendieta, she came from a very political family, and her father worked in opposition to the Cuban Revolution. He was actually jailed in Cuba for 18 years before he mm. was reunited with his family. Mm. So her and her sister were moved to the U.S. via this Operation Peter Pan, however problematic that name may be. Mm-hmm. And she's moved to Miami and then moved to Iowa, which is where she spent most of her time. Shout out Iowa. Her and her sister were told that they were going to be sent to a boarding school, but were instead housed in an orphanage that also housed juvenile delinquents. Oh, that's mm-hmm. bad. It's like a reformatory school. So let me get this straight. The Catholic Church in a operation called Pedro Pan decided that Cuban children were in danger in Cuba. They were going to be safer well, in orphanages. I think it was children of people in the resistance, yeah. right? Yeah. Or was it just children in general? So it was people whose like children, like they were resisting and their right, children could be dad. put in danger. Okay. So they like put them on planes. So and, they would like, be safer in a Catholic orphanage. Well, it was more, <laughs> I think it was like, they didn't know where they were going to be going because they were just trying to get them away from danger. Right. Catholic so it was like they church. got them to Florida and then they like... <laughs> children. Danger. <laughs> your, point, your point is valid. Okay. I just needed to make sure that I outlined that. Yes. Yes. Right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hindsight. Yeah. Not a great Thank idea. Thank you for validating me and my viewpoints. Thank you. No. You're, you're one. Yeah. Anytime. Totally. Like totally valid points to make for sure. It was more so. Yeah was because her father was working in direct opposition of Fidel Castro. Like, they were in danger. And mm-hmm. so it was a way right. to try and get these children yeah. to mm-hmm. a place um, where they wouldn't be in that line of fire. They were in an orphanage in Iowa for a while and then eventually placed in a foster home a few years later. From what I understand, it was a good, healthy foster home situation. Good, she good. you know, grew up going to high school in Iowa and then she studied at the University of Iowa as a painting major. She had art teachers that told her in her high school years that she didn't have any talent and she said, fuck y'all, basically. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. She got to do sometimes. Mm-hmm. While she was at the University of Iowa studying painting, she felt kind of limited by the medium. And she was really very interested in seeking something much bigger than what she felt like one medium could do for her. She was often searching for a way to, quote, bring more magic into her work. And her work was really about like all of these like the earth and the ephemeral and transformation Mm -hmm. and identity and universal energy and the body and feminine wisdom and cultural violence and really just like all of these things that she didn't really feel she could express through one medium of doing things. And so she quickly, she took a film course at the University of Iowa and quickly just like moved into multidisciplinary, multimedia work and really considered herself to be an artist above everything. She didn't want to be categorized in any way and really resisted being categorized. There's this really great lecture by her niece that is with the Fort Lauderdale Art Museum that you can find on YouTube. And there's this quote, Anna defined herself as artist first before woman, Cuban, daughter, sister, aunt, my godmother, she was an artist. So ultimately, she was just really 
focused on expressing her art she didn't care about any of these labels and was not trying to wasn't trying to establish herself as anything in in particular she was really trying to explore what moved her and what was important to her which is such a baller move and I'm so into it yeah definitely that video too with her niece is really worth watching for anyone who's interested in Anna and her work because that was the best resource I think I found online. You get a personal understanding, like her niece mm-hmm. knew her and mm-hmm. knew what was valuable to her. And is also an artist and writer. So then like, not only does she know her on that personal level, but can deliver talk in a way that's actually informative and academic and interesting. And I like that she talked about how when you're talking about someone who's passed, like you shouldn't talk just about their biography or just about their work. Like mm-hmm. you should talk about both and then you should contextualize it. Like you should talk about everything because it's so much more than just kind of the one angle that people like to take a lot of times. And she does a really, really good job of it. It's not a super long talk either, but it gives you kind of a, a good understanding of her as a whole. Yeah, 100%. And then she also gets into projects that are being undertaken to kind of like reinvigorate Mendieta's work, like how how they're using different technology with film to explore her work in a different way. It's a great talk. And yeah, I agree. I, I would definitely suggest looking into that. That actually brings me to something else I wanted to bring up. There's a documentary on Anna Mendieta called Bloodwork. The Anna Mendieta story by Richard Moves. And I really wanted to watch it. Like I, I was really excited to watch it. I watched like a trailer for it. And you can't find it anywhere, even hmm. for money. I was willing to, you know, pay That's weird. Yeah, I was willing to pay YouTube or Amazon or whoever to watch yeah. it. And you and you yeah. can't find it anywhere. And I, I feel like this is just an example of something that I run into a lot when doing art historical research is these documentaries, these like art history documentaries and these art documentaries, they're not available to the public. And like, it's, it's because they're kind of being housed to be part of art exhibitions, which I get, Mm -hmm. but it's also like that is part of the issue with Mm -hmm. inaccessibility to art, you know, like if someone stumbles on information about Anna Mendieta and they want to learn more about her using the internet, like you literally can't pay the $5 to like rent the movie. Like it's not available anywhere online. And like, that's really frustrating to get your hands on this documentary. You basically have to like schedule a screening and you have to pay like a lot of money. And this happens a lot with art documentaries. I know it's something that I've just run into with a lot of like, modern artists and modern artworks that I like a lot like to get the full documentary you you just can't find it online and I feel like that's just another example of why or of how art institutions are just inaccessible Mm -hmm. yeah do we know who is currently housing that documentary or or like who owns it yeah it's so the documentary is by this Richard Moves and you can go to his website we'll have it linked in our sources and you can like contact and you can schedule a screening and you can do all that and there have been plenty of screenings of it at different like arts institutions but still in an age of the internet where like you know we 
want to find our information quickly and we do find our information quickly like and this is information that you should be able to find quickly like exactly (laughs) why why is this exclusive exactly and like I said I was willing to pay for it I'm not saying it all needs to be free Mm -hmm. in in reference to our generation younger generations like we don't really have the patience to contact someone and arrange a screening. <laughs> well, I think we also have like a very low tolerance of like <laughs> bullshit authority. Yeah, yeah, like, exactly. Just, I don't know. That that feels yeah. like a moment where it's an arbitrary reason. Mm-hmm. I can't fully understand why we can't. Yeah, at least the guy should throw it up so where if you're gonna pay, you can watch it. Like, yeah, make yeah. Some money off of it and like get it out there. Like why why create something why create a documentary about an artist especially such a fascinating artist who could connect to so many people and then not put it out there I just don't understand right I mean I have some theories I don't I don't know this but there's well we'll get into this because it's really the juiciest part of the story but I bet you that her husband her Mm. whatever you want to call him um he his name is Carl. What's his name? Carl Andrade. Carl Andre. Carl Murderino Andre. I call him Murderino because that's actually a very nice name for people who like the podcast. Yeah. My favorite murder. So. Yeah, yeah, he's a murderer. Um, <laughs> and Andre. we'll get we'll get into this. Carl Andre, who is very much alive, is considered this like super like important minimalist sculptor, mm-hmm. one of the leading of his generation. And so those are not my words. That is the comment from a Tate press officer from the Tate Modern. I would assume that someone with that level of uh, support among these uh, institutions Mm -hmm. like the Tate Mm -hmm. Modern would have the pool to maybe threaten legal action against somebody who Mm -hmm. made uh, a documentary about Anna Mendieta. And uh, especially if that documentary is like scathing towards him. But we don't know because we haven't seen it. So we haven't arranged arranged for a private screening. Right. Um, So that is just a theory. No, I think that's a good theory. Like I, I totally think there's some weight to that because there is so much just drama and weirdness surrounding. Yeah, that whole Carl Andre thing. But this is an issue I've run into with a lot of like modern art videos like this isn't a new thing like there have been so many Mm -hmm. times that I've wanted to research something or talk about it on the podcast and I can't get my hands and it's inaccessible Mm -hmm. when did you say this documentary came out again Cor? I think it was 2009 I want to say I found too that like documentaries that came out not super recently like they just keep them available for a certain amount of time and then they're like no one cares anymore and then they're like made really inaccessible or you can only watch like parts one and three of four on youtube yeah, or some yeah. dumb shit like that like it's strange <laughs> conspiracy theories <laughs> that's a whole art accessibility problem that we could just we could bitch about forever, but let's get yeah, back yeah. to Anna's work. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. Anna's work is, oh God, I love it. I love mm-hmm. it so much. Like it speaks to me. Like I got 
you guys, I just had like such a time today. Like I, so in doing this podcast and like working in this space of art and art history, sometimes you just get like exhausted and overwhelmed and the art just doesn't speak to you as much anymore. I know it's a experience we've all dealt with, you know, especially like towards the end of grad school. And like, it has been a minute since I have come across art that just fucking like lit me on fire. Like Mm -hmm. I got so excited and like so emotional learning about her and looking at her work and thinking about her work. And it just spoke to me in a way that I haven't felt in a minute. And that's been like very exciting. Like that's always an exciting feeling to have that again, like that fire. And for me anyways, what she was doing with her work, it's just this conglomeration of everything I love in art. Like, She referred to her works as earth body art. That was the term she gave to Mm -hmm. it herself, like a descriptor by the artist was earth body work. And she explored themes of the female body, of death, of displacement, of transformation. She was very interested in spiritual practices that involved a connection to the earth. She explored a lot of the pre-Columbian spiritual practices. And she also was very interested in the Santeria religion, Mm -hmm. which has influences from many cultures, including West African, Caribbean, a little bit of Roman Catholicism. It's a very multifaceted spiritual practice. The work she was doing was very rooted in connection with the earth and spiritual practice, but then also using her body and like being rooted in her body and rooted in her earthly existence. And to me, I personally am very moved and very interested by ephemeral art and like if you've listened to our episode on spiral jetty I get very emotional about that artwork like that's an artwork that's very important to me it's an earthwork and it deals with ephemerality and I get very emotional on that episode and I feel like she is doing all the things like she is totally working with all the things I love about that work and other earthworks and then taking it times a a billion. Like she's doing that. And then she's also exploring her identity and she's exploring her human form and she's exploring political unrest. And so she's taking these things that have to do with the ephemeral and transformation and universal energy, these deep things. And then she's also like rooting them in her existence. And it's just fucking amazing. Like I am. Oh, man, I am so enamored with her work right now. Like it is something else. This woman was something else. Looking at her work. I mean, I don't know if it's a it it seems like something 1960s, 1970s, this idea of like body art, using your own body in these different ways. So outside of like the things that she did, like her Silhouetta series, which would probably be categorized as earth art, 
these other earlier works where she's just either film or photography with this facial hair transplants that she did in 1972 these are just really good I mean I mean at first glance they're kind of silly but then like the more you look at it the more you're like oh it's kind of beautiful like the idea of using not only just your body but then like changing hair and like things like that about your body well and back to the earth thing I remember reading something today I don't remember who said it but someone talking about how they had been really enamored by the earth artists of the time so like of the early 70s but that a lot of those men were moving earth in a really aggressive way Mm -hmm. like really changing impacting it it was like really powerful and like they were commanding and controlling the earth and then Anna came in and she was like collaborating with the earth and it was like mm-hmm. she was doing something so much better because she was collaborating with it instead mm-hmm. of against it she wasn't mm-hmm. trying to control it mm-hmm. or conquer it yes. or be the master of it she was working with it and creating yeah. something entirely different and beautiful and like really moving people dude you just saying that like gave me chills like that's so good yeah like Totally. That's 100% what it what it was. Because, yeah, a lot of the, the male earth artists of this yeah. time were doing these big kind of invasive things. Spiral jetty. Like, it was just beautiful. And not right. kind of- yeah, yeah, no. But it is. It's 100% like, I am here. Like, that yes. is 100% happening with Spiral Jetty. And the Silhouetta series is, I mean, just brilliant. It's almost more like catacombs than it is. Like, yes. Like, yes. So personal and like, I don't know. It's 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 like catacombs. It reminds me of Pompeii. Like it mm-hmm. reminds me of yes. these things that are so opposite of like big monumental works. Yeah. Yeah. So to get our listeners up to speed. So one of her most well-known series is her Silhouetta series. And she created silhouettes using her body and she would create them in all different landforms, basically mud, rock, sand. She did this in Mexico. She also did this in Iowa. Like I said, she was interested in pre-Columbian like religion and pre-Columbian culture. And then also, you know, she grew up in Iowa. So she was kind of exploring these different landscapes. And then she would fill them with different things. She'd fill them with flowers, twigs, her own blood. She would fill Mm -hmm. some with gunpowder. And this kind of goes back to what you were saying, Jen. To some extent, these are definitely earthworks. You know, she's working in the earth and working with the, the earth. But there's a performative element too, because with the the silhouettes she did and then filled them with gunpowder, she would light those on fire and they would become a performance, like a happening, Mm -hmm. essentially. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which, you know, speaks to so much. It speaks to elements. It speaks to, you know, the energy of fire. And then it also speaks to, like, civil and political unrest. It speaks to so many layers of human experience and her human experience and it crosses it 100% crosses these boundaries of art movement or art genre you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that the earthworks are truly incredible but you know I I kind of want to talk about her early work because it seems that her early work was really this like shocking stuff i think i know where you're going (laughs) yeah like just extremely extremely bloody 
Yeah. Yeah. So blood blood was a big thing for her i mean the the documentary in question is called blood work Mm -hmm. in the early 70s a lot of her work was photography or film of Mm -hmm. her early performances and a lot of it is just different ways of her interacting with blood and guts really Mm -hmm. so there's a 1973 film called sweating blood and the camera close-up on Mendieta's face and blood is slowly pouring down her face. The critic Ben Davis called it a horror movie version of Andy Warhol's screen tests, which I'm all about that. That's awesome. Because yeah. Screw Andy Warhol. <laughs> yes. Bloody screen test. It's, it's kind of funny. The artist's uh, sister who has been interviewed a lot about Mendieta's life has come out and and given a lot of insight into Mendieta's whole deal. And there's a quote here where her sister uh, says that Mendieta would buy a steer blood. So steer being like the the bovine creature, (laughs) Um, the the bovine animal, steer blood by the gallon from a nearby slaughterhouse, um, which is like, whoa. That's very easy to do in Iowa. It's very easy to do. Wait, can I just say really quickly, one of my favorite moments from that talk that her niece gave is at the end, someone's asking questions and the first person is, you can tell it's an old older woman on the mic is like where'd she get the blood <laughs> she's yeah. just very like judgmental about it she goes did she use your own blood no. and her niece is kind of like no actually uh she always used animal blood she would get it from slaughterhouses which was really easy because you have to remember she was in iowa iowa and yeah it's, it's like yeah take your industry like, farming trying to be you know like that was such a loaded question where you could tell they were trying to like pull out some sort of like primitive like oh that's where absolutely this woman oh she's and a then, wild woman exactly. she's a wild brown woman oh, where'd she get the blood her own blood and throwing it everywhere. exactly it's unsanitary and just trying to go that angle and exactly her niece just clapped back so quickly Shut and she yeah, was ready like and it was dummy. amazing if you guys want some bovine blood i can go like five minutes outside of town and hook you up yeah can you ship it to <laughs> me is that doable i need Jeez, about five feeding. gallons of bovine blood um at your earliest convenience i won't like harp on the blood for too much longer but there is another piece no, called so untitled people looking at blood comma moffat mm-hmm. and so mendieta gets a pile of animal gore just blood and guts you know from you know. a butcher probably and um she captures uh the reactions of people passing her apartment and there's blood like trickling like out of her apartment and she was actually pretty upset by the end of it because nobody called the police and so just like this really like her mo in this period of time in the early 70s seems to be to try to like shock but more than just the shock of the action itself she seems to be interested in the reactions of people it almost reminds me of like psychology experiments that i learned about in high school yeah where they would set these things up just to watch how people would react yeah and yeah she's interested in the reaction yeah i think she said she like watched people like kick it or like kind of like move around it and Mm -hmm. then finally someone cleaned it up but Mm -hmm in her mind it was representative of like how society deals with violence and like how we respond to violence and like damn 
Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> and a lot of people just didn't respond. Which is, which mirrors right? psychological yeah. experiments. So, yeah. exactly. I mean, she's onto something. So, which is just all just very, very interesting. And you, I, I'm not always one for blood work. A lot of times it makes me a little uneasy and I'm into hers. Yeah, definitely. And she was just very... <laughs> Like, I feel like it's such a fucking Scorpio move to just be like watching people and then calling them out for their mm-hmm. shit like that, you know, like, like in this very like you motherfuckers, like, like I see you, you know, just like it's but it yeah, it's it's such a such a confrontational work, such a confrontational way to approach that issue you know, you can view it like view it as an artwork, but you yeah, you can totally also view it as just a social experiment. Like it's the same. It, it kind of exists in the same space for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of my theory on and it's not my theory. I'm not I didn't make this Jen's up. theory. It's, I did not make this <laughs> up. This is not up. a unique theory, <laughs> but I've always felt that performance art is really it is a psychological experiment. It's totally it's all about like how it's being perceived and therefore like it can't exist on its own like it must be viewed and experienced it needs like society and human nature as part of the experiment otherwise it's yes exactly yeah oh she's so good she is so good and let's take a quick break and then we'll come back and talk more about like intersection with feminism and that kind of business. Yeah, let's do that. Uh, We'll be right back. BRB. All right. We have returned. We are talking about Ana Mendieta. There's so much to say. We still have so much. Oh yeah. Let's talk a little bit about feminism. Yeah. We were going to pick up on feminism a little bit. So Anna Mendieta is often labeled a quote-unquote feminist artist, but as we have discussed, she does not like labels, mm-hmm. and she didn't particularly enjoy being labeled a feminist artist, and she didn't really identify with herself as a quote-unquote feminist uh, because the movement at the time was so centered around white middle-class women, mm-hmm. which is an issue we're still working through today. Mm-hmm. That was, she didn't really like to identify with that label because of that issue. However, her work did involve itself with what could be considered feminist issues. As we said, especially in college, she did Moffat building piece, which we talked about. She also did a work while she was at the University of Iowa titled Rape Scene, which was responding Mm -hmm. to the rape and murder of a fellow student by the name of Sarah Van Ottens. It was like a tableau that involved her and visitors were invited to Mendieta's apartment and they found the artist stripped, bound and covered in blood. Mm -hmm. So very visceral, very intense, and very much bringing attention to the issue of assault, sexual yeah. and mm-hmm. you know, violent assault on women. So she definitely interacted with what can be considered feminist ideas. There has also been, in recent years, a contemporary feminist group called Where is Anna Mendieta? That is simultaneously like a feminist protest group and an archiving project that seeks to archive the works of Anna Mendieta. Jen, you kind of mentioned this 
earlier, but they protested outside the Tate Modern in June of 2016 Mm -hmm. because the Tate was showing many of Carl Andre's works and none of Mendieta's, of which they actually own five. So basically this group is interested in both archiving the work of Ana Mendieta and also protesting domestic abuse, domestic violence, and bringing attention to Anna's work and how it is often overshadowed by Carl Andres and how that's a huge problem for a lot of reasons. Yeah, and there is a big issue in the art world with this shielding of Carl Andre, where essentially he's been labeled as being this extremely important sculptor and That's both from the uh, Tate press officer, but then also he had a show at the MoCA in L.A. in which Carl Andre was having a major retrospective and the final stop after a five-year worldwide tour was in LA and there was little to no advertising. The opening wasn't well attended. It was very awkward is what visitors said that there was protesters outside and inside there were very angry women and there's this tone the director of the the mocha and the co-curator of the retrospective very much insinuates that it was like unfair that the feminist movement ostracized carl andre and and that like he one of the most important artists of our time and you know we're a museum we're not a court of law and we have to do them do justice and blah 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 and whatever and so it's a huge feminist issue in the art world right now the treatment of anna yeah. mendieta and the treatment of carl andre and you can't talk about one without talking about the other and Everything that I researched, there's just like this inherent misogyny when these directors and curators talk about Anna Mendieta. So these curators that want to have a Carl Andre show or even piece in a show are very defensive and are very like annoyed with having to talk about Mendieta. So that is another aspect to how Mendieta has been kind of, I don't want to say used, but how she has been... Kind of a a victim to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And in the 90s, there was actually a work by the Gorilla Girls, who we've done an episode on, that placed Carl Andre up against an image of O.J. Simpson. Mm-hmm. And it says, what do these men have in common? And then the subtext is every 15 seconds, another woman is assaulted by her husband or boyfriend. Some of these assaults end in murder. Usually there are no eyewitnesses to these crimes. So, I mean, pretty clear what they're trying to say there. Mm-hmm. But I think that's just, yeah, we kind of have this example of multiple feminist groups engaging with the art world, kind of standing up in defense of Anna Mendieta and asking questions about how Carl Andre's works are handled and and why it's okay to just kind of gloss over the fact that he was involved in her death in some way and the complicated like nature of it. Why 
why so many years later we're still just praising Carl Andre and not giving attention to the work of Anna Mendieta, who, in my opinion, whose work is so much more interesting, like so much more interesting. <laughs> I think I, I agree especially with that. Now. It's, it's Oh, yeah, yes. especially now. And, and I think anyone could agree with that. I feel in my heart of hearts that we have left out a really important part of this story. And I want to continue to discuss feminist issues and especially the issue of domestic violence. But before we can keep doing that, I think we need to get into the details of Anna Mendieta's untimely death. Right. So the story goes that sometime in the early, early morning of September 8th, 1985, Anna Mendieta and her husband, Carl Andre, were having a fight. They were both drunk. And according to neighbors and the doorman of the apartment that they lived in in uh, Greenwich Village in New York City, this was not unusual. So they had a really tumultuous relationship. So they, they lived in a high rise. So in the early morning of September 8th, 1985, Anna Mendieta, who was naked except for just a pair of blue underwear, fell from the apartment that she shared with Andre. She fell over 30 stories and hit the roof of a nearby deli. There is a report, I've read this a couple of different places, but the doorman of the building that was next to the apartment that they were in later testified that he heard what sounded like a woman saying no, 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 like repeatedly just moments before he heard the sound of her body hitting the roof of that deli. I've heard a few different things. I heard that she hit the roof of a deli. I've heard that she hit the concrete. Regardless, she fell over 30 stories and died. She was only 36 years old, so she was very young. So there's all kinds of, I don't know, it's... it's Awfulness layered on I awfulness. I just hate reading about this. Yeah. Um, Andre called 911 and the call was later replayed in a courtroom he sounds very detached his um, words were my wife is an artist and i'm an artist and we had a quarrel about the fact that i was more exposed to the public than she was and she went to the bedroom and i went after her and she went out the window so that's the 911 call yeah i mean <laughs> Which not I'm one like, I'm not one what? to like dissect 911 calls cuz I don't listen to a lot of them cuz most of them are very upsetting and you can never judge someone for how they process yeah, grief. I you don't want to sit however, around and listen to them. However, <laughs> it's not good. I, however, you don't spend your free time just listening to 911 calls. <laughs> I don't make a habit of it. Weird. The fact that he like opened that with my wife is an artist and I too am an artist and we were having an argument about who was the more successful that's just fucking I, weird and I Jenny and I both listen to true crime podcasts yes. in our spare time yeah. and there is something to be said for when someone is speaking about someone in that detached language yeah. of like it's very like separate like instead of being like my wife fell like you know what I mean yeah. like you would, if, if that if you experience that and you were oh truly traumatized you'd be like oh my god my wife my wife fell out the window my yes. wife jumped my yeah you would be you wouldn't be like she's an it, artist it, it is you're right you can't <laughs> you can't judge how someone processes grief but right. you can you can judge how someone yeah. chooses their words 
and you can judge if they're like you if they're trying to impress something different and it's like it is that like that separation of this thing happened yeah but I'm not a part of it yeah tell you about it and how I'm separate from it and it's so indicative of it's interesting yeah that it it sounds like he's trying to frame it as an art act as some kind of like art Mm -hmm. thing like a performance or something yeah Uh, she's an artist and I am an artist and uh, she jumped like <laughs> she went out the window. Anyway, so that's all very infuriating. So she fell to her death. He was charged with murdering her. There was a three-year trial, and three um, years? it was three Damn. years. He was eventually acquitted of murder because there was insufficient evidence. Andre's lawyer actually argued that Mendieta had committed something called sub intentional suicide so the idea there being that um in a moment of passion or like in a heated moment or what right like like in a heated moment she jumped out right yeah Anyway, so how many times in human history has that happened? Let's look. Let's look into that. It like, doesn't happen. I've been. I've, I've had some heated <laughs> moments. Ugh. Yeah, it it didn't. That's not what happened. And there was no reason for Mendieta to commit suicide, according to her family and friends. They all claimed that she was just hitting her stride professionally. Yeah. She was very frustrated and bogged down by her unhappy marriage, which. Uh, tell show me a woman who <laughs> is in an unhappy marriage who could otherwise be ruling the world so yeah it seems like she was in a, in a very unhappy relationship two artists probably clashing egos but i don't feel like in my research and just what i've read about her career and what her family has said there was no reason for mendieta to commit suicide and they were both drunk and they were both arguing and it was i think that this was a a real crime i don't think that this was a suicide so carl andre was acquitted and has gotten to pretty much just enjoy his career for the last 30 years other than protests and scandal and a lot of scrutiny by feminists and others who have demanded justice for Mendieta, Carl Andre has been doing just fine. It's just, it's sad. It's sad because we really don't know a lot about Mendieta from the surface other than she was an artist who fell out of a building and a lot of her career has been shrouded by this really violent act this horrific thing that happened and it's brought along a lot of conversations about how we talk about women Mm -hmm. and women artists so there is a particular comment it's in the comments section of a hyper allergic story that profiled the protests of Andre's retrospective at the MoCA. So this comment, I think, really illustrates the contempt and misogyny that exists around the whole argument about Mendieta and was Mm. she murdered or did she commit suicide by an anonymous commenter. I went to art school with Anna, and I completely believe what Carl Andre said, that she jumped out the window in a fit of anger at him. Consider it her final performance. 
If you really want a target for righteous anger, you might consider her art school professor who would technically now be considered a rapist by assertion of his position of authority. Ironically, he was grading her on rape performance artworks. So that is just horrible. The comment about her art school professor is that she did have a love affair with one of her art school professors. Mm-hmm. People been fucking their art school professors forever. I mean, I don't, <laughs> you know, that's like, I don't, okay, yeah, yeah. like, I mean, and- this whole comment about you might consider her art school professor a rapist. It's like, okay, by all accounts, her relationship with that professor was consensual. Yeah. And this particular commenter is yeah. like, well, you know, nowadays that would be considered a rapist. It really reeks to me of someone who's like, oh, the Me Too movement. Uh-huh. Like, totally. it's very much someone who's like bitching about women's rights. It's dismissive. It's mm-hmm. just yes. straightly, like straight dismissive. It's dismissive. And it's also there's this idea that this commenter just wants to so desperately believe that that it's more likely that Mendieta threw herself mm-hmm. and her career and everything out of a window in a fit of rage at her husband than to believe that she was pushed out mm-hmm. by her husband who was it's drunk the, in the middle of a violent it's the fight. same people who believe that Dr. Blasey Ford would get up and do that for any other reason than mm-hmm. it was Absolutely. the truth. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, Absolutely. for any other reason, in, insert any reason that they would make up, but like, obviously we all know she's telling the truth because why would you ever do that if you weren't yeah this comment really equates her death and agony trying to put it back on her it it reduces the violence of her death and all of the outrage of these protesters to just like another instance of feminist hysteria Mm -hmm. it's like oh it's just you want to get mad get mad at the fact that her professor in college was banging her and like passing her classes or something i don't know it's weird it's like it was the weirdest thing to read i think part of it too is a desire to want to believe in the establishment like not let go of like the arts establishment Mm -hmm. because carl andre is this quote unquote established like very important i guess minimalist sculptor he's supposed to be a big deal (laughs) and if we who i've never heard of (laughs) i'm just gonna say it (laughs) and i mean honestly like his work's all right some of it i'm like oh that's kind of cool like i'm i I, you know i'm not gonna claim he's like a garbage artist but like as an artist even like within the arts establishment we want to believe that what we've been told about what is good art and and what makes a good artist is true and it's a desire to hold on to this idea that he was an important artist and that's important and we we should look at his art and appreciate it because it's important important it's important yeah there's just this desire to believe that the way it's been done up to this point is correct and true and good and when someone comes in and is is challenging that whether it be by claiming that he is a murderer or even just claiming that Anna Mendieta's work is more important than his is. Mm -hmm. And likewise, Natalie, going back to your example of of Dr. Blasey Ford, like it's the same thing. It's standing up to the establishment. And these people just want to believe that the establishment is right and good. I wish. (laughs) 
here and 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 it's important here to remind everybody that the art world even so in the 1980s and today was still predominantly white male dominated Mm -hmm. and this is still the case things are maybe a fraction better like we're calling people out Mm -hmm. now like we're really criticizing things but Andre when he was arrested a ton of key art world figures rallied to his defense Uh, Frank Stella who made that like Mm -hmm. big dumb wall that just he he does these gigantic um he does these gigantic installations he's a sculptor and i mean i'm not saying i'm just mad at him because i found out that frank stella paid fifty thousand dollars towards the bail of carl andre and that's you know that's bullshit but it shows you that these men stick together and help each other and it's it's just still it's a man's world in the art world still to this day the 1980s were not that long ago and this is all the gorilla girls poster i almost want it like on a shirt because i I just want it i just (laughs) want it because i i just want i want to remind people constantly that oj simpson got to murder his wife and be free and wealthy and carl andre did the same thing starting off your 911 call with my wife's an artist and i'm an artist yeah. and uh we were having a debate about you know i mean right? I, like I, art the like, fact the fact that i am more exposed to the public it's like like literally up until the end like oh, she fell out the window it's like yeah. what that you know she went out the window yeah man cautionary tale like passion that isn't always a good thing. Exactly. Be very wary. <laughs> exactly. I mean, exactly. while we're on the topic, just like passion does not equal love. No. And just, I no, mean, it yeah, doesn't. To, to our young listeners, like, especially. It's yeah. hard. It's hard because um, it's hard I, think, sometimes. I think we all have at least a story of being in a relationship with someone where it's really tumultuous and we don't get along. And we're not great for each other, but we're still doing it for some reason. And there's this idea that because it's passionate, it's good. There must be something there. There and must be something that's worth it. It's what, toxic. Uh, what it is is that yeah. you found someone that pushes all your buttons in the wrong way. And you guys are bad for and each other. you're playing each other like yeah. horrible instruments. If you're, out, <laughs> if you're listening to this and this is ringing a bell, striking a chord... <laughs> you know touching a nerve yeah um stop it <laughs> if you hear the bell if stop the chord it. is struck if the nerve is touched mm-hmm. leave just get Please out leave right now it's men are dangerous um <laughs> not to say okay. i'm sorry i know i I'm, I'm getting i know i know i know, I know. um just it's not even just men against women it's not you know anyone could be an abuser please yes. please be safe you're worth more than that Okay. Boom. Yes. All of y'all be safe, regardless. As we said in the BoJack episode, it's 2019. We know our worth. Yeah. We all know our worth. Exactly. I hope you do. So let's take another break. And then I want to come back and bring it back around. Because unfortunately, because of the the drama surrounding it, Anna Mendieta's work is often overshadowed by her death. So let's take a quick break. And then come back around and talk more about her amazing work. 
Okay. Yes. See you soon. All right. We have returned from our commercial break. Mm-hmm. Hi. We're talking about Anna Mendieta uh, just wrapped up on her quote unquote mysterious death. And now we're going to kind of wrap back around to her work and more of like the ethos and the ideas surrounding her work because it's just super interesting and super moving. There's actually a, a really good article interview with contemporary artist Coco Fusco, who is also a badass. If you're not familiar, you should yes. look her up. Yes. She's wonderful. And she has kind of spoken about this issue in regards to Anna's legacy and how because her death was so high profile and, you know, this like murder mystery, it kind of overshadows her work, which is super fucking unfortunate because her work is so good. I know. It really is. I know. I feel... I feel like this is kind of like why we didn't really want to talk about the murder right right away because it's yeah it's hard to it's hard to talk about Mendieta and not talk about the murder because how do you not it's like I don't know I just keep thinking about the OJ Simpson Nicole Simpson you know (laughs) I know what did Nicole Simpson do like no one knows everyone just knows that she got murdered like nobody knows what she did like how did she end up with Simpson like and no one knows it also reminds me of how we talk when we talk about Artemisia Gentileschi where there's like this you can't really talk about her without talking about the rape and the trial and all that but it also you try and disassociate her from that because it didn't define her and all yada 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 but it's it's really hard to do it is yeah i don't know there's a part of me though that like maybe optimistically it can be both where like there's like a season for both so you can look at them in that way where they're not 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 necessarily like a cautionary tale but like they can be like a symbol for something important like rape culture Mm -hmm. or like domestic violence violence. sure yeah so not to go off on a tangent, but who saw Lorena, the four-part documentary series on Prime about Lorena Bobbitt, who famously cut off her husband's wiener? No, I didn't, but I want to you see that. You better watch okay. it. You I, better watch I, it. What was the other it's thing so I good. Executive producer Jordan Peele, by the way, Ooh. who has just been blowing my mind. Yeah. And so that's an- L- Lorena, right? Lorena Bobbitt. And it's just called Lorena. It's on Prime. Not only is it scandal, we but it's- We might be doing a hot take on it. I, we gotta do a hot goes. take on it. I, I definitely want to. It's another instance of a situation in which a woman was with her back against the wall, like- being violently assaulted in a relationship that she was trapped in essentially so she does this really extreme act of essentially the guy was like raping her all the time and Mm -hmm. so she cut off his dick Mm -hmm. i mean what are you gonna do Mm -hmm. you know and so it's a famous example of someone really retaliating against their abuser and it's a really good documentary it's really good comment on domestic violence and and i feel that that is it's a it's a story that is common wherein something really violent happens and then that is that person's story from there on out right and in the case of lorena bobbitt it's positive like yeah she's considered the person who cut off this dude's you know dick um 
penis. But, you know, she got to get out of this violent situation. In Mendieta's case, we don't know. She did some performance pieces where she would personally like appeared bruised and battered and i wonder was she like was that just art or was she actually beat up like was there a history of abuse here we don't know Mm -hmm. but all we have is the sad ending of it where she died and so it's another one of those instances where something really violent happens and the woman is the one who becomes marked by it forever carl andre doesn't have to be marked as the artist who pushed his wife out the window because the art world won't look at him that way but you if you ask anyone in his corner they're going to say that it has marked his career and they're going to paint him as the victim for sure yeah that is how they see him they totally see him as a victim here for being marred by this experience and that will be their story until the end like it always is every time well, that's essentially the attitude that I got from the Tate. That's the attitude that I got from the Mocha. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it definitely seems as though the art world has rallied behind Andre. Or like certain parts of it, because it's interesting how other institutions seem to be like showing her work. And I wonder if it has kind of become like a polarizing thing where people are choosing sides. I think um, it is. Yeah, I think it is completely. And it's sad because you can't do a Google search of Anna Mendieta and not have the first thing pop up be about her death. Mm-hmm. And that is really unfortunate because like Corey has mentioned, her work is just incredible. It is. It's incredible. And I don't want to go on for too much longer about domestic violence and, and this just because I don't want to reinforce the same narrative that she is this woman who was a victim i i want to see her as a woman who was an amazing artist and who had a lot to offer and her death was untimely but we still have a great body of work true ultimately this this tale the story of her death is there's there's a lot to it and it is what it is and and yeah i kind of agree with nat what you were trying to say before hopefully you know we can pull something good from it obviously and i think these discussions of domestic abuse and the fact that there are these groups rallying you know in anna's corner are great like that's i i think that's awesome But ultimately, going back to the very beginning of this episode, I already knew that story before I started researching her. Like I knew about Anna Mendieta and Carl Andre. I knew that there was this drama about whether or Mm -hmm. not he killed her. And that was not what was interesting to me Mm -hmm. in doing this research. When I started researching her, honestly, from the beginning, I was like, this work is fucking fire. Like Mm -hmm. it is so moving and so powerful. And the way she was engaged with so many different aspects of being a human and being an artist, just everything about her has, yeah, just been like crazy inspiring to me. And so 
Yeah, 100%. We couldn't have done this episode without talking about her death. We needed to. Like, it's it's part of the story, and it's part of her story, and it's important. And, like, I, I don't want to shy away from that in any way. I don't think the answer to this problem is pretending it didn't happen. Like, we need to yeah. talk about this shit. We need to talk about domestic violence. Like, I think this conversation has been so valuable and so important, and I, I think it's important that people are bringing attention to it. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, bringing it back around to what Coco Fusco said, who was also a contemporary of Ana Mendieta, like it's easy to pull in interest when you have this really dramatic tale of murder. We know by the popularity of true crime right now that people love hearing about fucking murder. Like they just do. <laughs> and that's fine. Like no judgment there. But like her, I don't know, her work is just, there's so much being said there and so much being done there and it's like if anything I want people to look into her as an artist and not into her as a victim Mm -hmm. of this horrendous crime ultimately what I want to talk about is is some of her like ideas and her ethos surrounding her artwork there is this quote by her that I just fucking adore in reference to what she was doing with her art And it's, my art is grounded in the belief of one universal energy which runs through everything. From insect to man, from man to specter, from specter to plant, from plant to galaxy. My works are the irrigation veins of the universal fluid. Through them ascend the ancestral sap, the original beliefs, the primordial accumulations, the unconscious thoughts that animate the world. Hmm. oh man that is i love it that is everything man that like makes me want to cry like that is wow this underlying thing that she was exploring with her art i think she had a beautiful connection to all that makes us human Mm -hmm. and a beautiful connection to the earth Mm -hmm. and just a beautiful attempt at trying to explain that and explore that. It just like makes me feel alive. Like even just hearing those words, you know, this idea of this universal energy running through everything and trying to explore that with her work. Like, fuck, man. That is beautiful. <laughs> it's a noble cause for sure. Right. Yeah. And intense. Like it's so, it's so much. And I don't think she was able to fully comprehend the mysteries of the universe because no one is. But the attempt at it is is good. Like the attempt at it is mm-hmm. friggin' baller. She created some really cool things. And there's actually in that interview with her, her niece talks about how Anna was really interested in a sense of magic mm-hmm. and how her her goal and her approach to making art, she was trying to express magic and like that. Same. That, yeah, that speaks to me, man. Yeah. Like, yeah. this, like, ultimately, like, at the end of the day, that is at the center of everything. This, like, universal life force, the magic that ignites all of us. Mm-hmm. We don't get it. We don't understand it. But trying to understand that through art, it brings me a sense of excitement. And it also brings me an extreme sense of comfort. Yeah, I feel that. I think people I are going to finally like come around to the fact that it's the missing piece and all of that that people keep ignoring is people keep trying to 
like devalue art and its importance and everything. Mm -hmm. And when they stop doing that, we'll make strides. Yeah, I wish that there was more left from Mendieta about her ideas of things like magic and her beliefs and and like the earth and stuff like all I've really been able to gather from research is that she was really into pre-Columbian spiritualities Mm -hmm. and the fact that she was so concerned with finding magic in her work is I think really interesting and I wish that there was more I mean I wish she was alive yeah I wish she was alive and that we could ask her her ideas I know I wish that she was around she would be 70 years old by now and she would probably have some amazing ideas and some amazing bits of her own magic about her work and and she could have had such an amazing career totally and I think too maybe I mean I'm just speaking for myself but I'm assuming it applies to all of us and that like as a kid I was so interested in like magic and imagination and that's what really fueled me and I think that's what led me to art and art history in a lot of ways. So hearing this, just like it all, just kind of validates. Yeah, it's like and like firming. clicks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely my attraction to art is these moments where I f- I feel like I encounter art or an artist that is searching for the same things I'm searching for you know mm-hmm. that is like trying to connect with the same things I'm trying to connect with mm-hmm. and Anna Mendieta 100% was doing that yeah. and it kind of brings me to one last point I want to talk about so there's this book I haven't read it I want to read it I'm gonna read it called where is Anna Mendieta and it was written by Jane Blocker in 1999 and that's kind of like the big text, like the popular text on Anna Mendieta. And from what I understand about the book, and I'm in no way critiquing the book because I haven't read it, but Blocker kind of explains that Anna Mendieta's work was very steeped in politics and um, her unique position as you know someone kind of being transplanted from Cuba to the United States and feminist issues and you know all this political upheaval. And then I read a synopsis of it that was talking about how a lot of people who write about Mandietta want to write about her as this like earth mother goddess that's like Mm. trying to explore the spiritual and stuff. And I definitely got that from certain articles. Like I read an article, a 1998 LA Times article that definitely did that. It was totally just trying to explain the work of Mandietta from this very like earth mother goddess perspective. But what I feel like is interesting is it just seems like all these, these different people who are writing about Anna Mendieta's work are either trying to align her as a political artist or align her as someone that's more interested in the spiritual and the the theoretical Mm -hmm. and it's like she was all of it mutually exclusive yes exactly it's like she was all of it she was she was diving in to spiritual they can't handle it they can't handle that reality (laughs) where she's doing both she was exploring all of this and this like this hit home for me a lot because because i'm just a very spiritual person i'm very into like that kind of shit there is a lot within contemporary spiritual circles where people exploring the spiritual or trying to be really Zen or whatever, separate themselves completely from the political. 
as though trying to achieve something spiritual is higher than trying to achieve something at the political level. And what is so fucking powerful about Anna Mendieta's work is like she recognizes the interconnectivity of it all. Like you cannot transcend the political systems that you exist within. Like it is part of reality. Mm-hmm. We live yeah. in time we live within political systems and whether you want to pretend that they're there or not like they are there you know and Anna Mendieta's work was 100% political and was dealing with her identity and these difficult political issues and and her anger and the feelings she was feeling towards them but she was also exploring herself as a spiritual being and like someone connected to the earth and like entrenched in history and I mean, ultimately, that's just what just screams to me about her work is she's like, I am a spiritual being and I am a political being, you know, like Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you can be both like you can experience both and explore both and try and figure it all out. And yeah, I, I, I'm not claiming that I think Anna Mendieta's work has all the secrets to the universe, but I think she was doing a bomb ass job of trying to explore it in her own way. And it's just incredibly moving to me. Agreed. Oh, God. There's something to be said also for like how far her art has come posthumously, especially because she was someone who wasn't super into labels and all that. Like it's transcended a lot of what she probably imagined it could do. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. It's even become the topic of some legal matters. Um, did you oh, all of course. <laughs> did you all hear about this? No. Um there's the the reboot of Suspiria yes. Yes. Um, by Amazon, yes. which came out last October. I still haven't seen it. I'm gonna watch that shit tonight. Yeah. I've been yeah. waiting to watch it because my my BF wants to watch it and I'm like, boy, if what? you don't <laughs> come watch this movie with me already i'm gonna watch it without you (laughs) anyway there is that's exactly what i said to him um there is a lawsuit that the anna mendieta estate has filed against amazon studios in seattle for their um, trailer because they've legitimately have it's pretty blatant it really is i remember reading about that a while ago on hyper allergic it's undeniable yeah yeah, it's Bold. definitely undeniable. And Whoa. there's there's a there's a certain amount of like homage. It's like where does the line between plagiarism and it. homage <laughs> they absolutely crossed it. They, crossed they it. absolutely crossed it and that they looks like a picture of her work. They're yeah. they're in trouble. But anyway, yes, like Just fucking give credit. Like I'm saying, why is this so I'm saying though. Like exactly. Use it. Right. Get it out there, expose the world, but give credit. We've yeah. been doing it in academia forever. It's not hard. I'm saying hire us cite your sources <laughs> Fuck. dedicate the film to Anna Mendieta or something why not yeah yeah well the estate only grants permission for the use of her art in academic or news contexts, never for commercial reproduction or recreation in other media. Maybe that's right on. Maybe that's, that's that might wishes, and so. that might be another reason yeah. why we can't get our hands on that documentary. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I still like my original conspiracy. I was going to say, I want to be angry about it, so I don't want that. I'm angry, so I'm just mad. I know Nat has some information on current exhibitions of Anna Mendieta's work, and then we still have to do a listener mail, so let's just roll on through. 
So I just want to talk about this really quickly because there is a show that is happening right now in Antwerp and it's called Earthbound and it's the first show where they've exhibited her work outside. So the whole idea is they're taking her earth, which was largely created in nature Mm -hmm. and returning it to nature for Mm. an exhibition experience. Mm. And I really just wanted to bring this up and like see what you guys thought about it. It's at the Middleheim Museum, which is an outdoor sculpture park in Antwerp. They're going to be showing some of her film, some of her photographs, obviously, and you're going to be able to walk around out in the garden and see them. That's um, really cool. I like that a lot. I want to go to That's the kind of curation that I want on right? everywhere. It connects to the idea brought up earlier in in the episode like how Anna Mendieta's work was like working mm-hmm. with nature and working with mm-hmm. the earth. And so it makes sense that an exhibition of her work would be working with the earth, you know? Exactly. Exactly. It's an additional collaboration, I guess. The MCA is doing a show on Ana Mendieta, or it's a show including Ana Mendieta coming up. So the Museum of Contemporary Art in Chicago. Ooh. Dope. I'm going to check that shit out. I'll do a vlog. Yep. It's going to be coming later Just this go summer. and like fucking cry mm-hmm. and just have a good time. And it's the second <laughs> show. I probably her. will. I probably will. Should I film myself crying? Yes. yes. <laughs> I want to I want a close-up of you know what would be good is like if you could be in the room i mean ideally by yourself but i know that it's hard and get someone to like from as far away as possible (laughs) to start videotaping you and then slowly come up to like your face and the whole time like you're crying and then it just like goes into like your your eyeball you know you're just just like standing there and just like goes into your eyeball and then it's like over that would be sick and then it could turn into on a mendieta style and as it zooms out the tears turn into blood Mm. (laughs) fuck man that's good (laughs) i see it i see it all in my mind in my mind's eye that actually also really reminds me of staying staying in line with like what's hot with the kids it reminds me of a billy eilish video have you guys watched any of her music videos? Nah, I'm old. <laughs> Is she that one that does that that Ocean Eye song? Yep. Ocean Eyes. Okay. Ooh. Got it. I got it. She has a video where the whole video is her sitting in a room and she drinks this cup full of ink and then the ink starts to run out of her eyes. It's really dope. Whoa. Wow. That's not good for you. <laughs> <laughs> Just you know. put the chalice down. <laughs> all right. All right. So Anna Mendieta, she's amazing. Um, I'm going to go look at her work and cry about it and then put on YouTube. So you guys yeah. should probably check that out. It's, it's really cool want, that you're going to do that. It's yes. what the people want. It's what I want. So, <laughs> Okay. Listener mail. Here we go. So this comes to us from a listener by the name of Elise. She's been like a hardcore listener for a while. She's a total supporter. And it came right after Jen, after our Notre Dame episode. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hi, art history babes. I am a frequent listener and really enjoy your show. 
I am a historic preservationist and would like to comment on today's episode about the Notre Dame. And there are some ideas that have been floating around on social media that are based on inaccuracies, and one of these found its way into the episode. I hope the feedback is received as friendly because it is. Hmm. The Notre Dame is not owned by the Catholic Church. It is owned by the French government which owns and is responsible for the upkeep of over 400 really old structures. And as you undoubtedly know, conservation is not cheap, especially when it comes to really, really old structures like the Notre Dame that often need extensive and frequent care. As a consequence, government-owned historic buildings, including those as grand and cherished as the Notre Dame, are typically underfunded and dependent on private donors. In fact, it is arguably the reality that put Notre Dame in this situation in the first place. It has needed repair work for a long time and was left in a state of vulnerability, as are most historic structures throughout the world, even the famous ones. Though the Catholic Church may help fund the rebuild, this would be an act of good faith, perhaps made in the interests of restoring a symbol of faith and place of worship rather than an obligation associated with ownership, since Notre Dame is actually not, as the episode suggested, under the church's purview. Why is this important? After all, it does feel likely that the church will support the rebuild and life will go on. And there are other more life and death issues taking place elsewhere in the world. In my opinion, the answer is this. There has been a great deal of shame casting in the recent social media scene regarding folks who want to give to the rebuild fund. As a preservationist, I fear that the harsh backlash against giving to this cause may haunt preservation efforts of a number of different kinds of structures and artworks for years to come. I so appreciated your perspective and emphasis on being authentic with ourselves regarding our biases and think that conversation is totally worthy. But I also felt nervous and sad by the statements regarding donations that the money was just not needed. Notre Dame may have a lot of money in the bank today, but alienating people who donate to the arts and to historic preservation efforts in the name of encouraging otherworldly causes is precarious. At the individual level, these donors who care so much about the Notre Dame are the same donors who give to museums and historic sites and keep their doors open at as low a cost as possible so that the greatest number of people possible can enjoy them and connect with them educationally, emotionally, and spiritually. In a world ever emphasizing STEM and underappreciating the role of arts in human connection and emotional health, I think the art world can and should use this moment to reflect on Eurocentrism and privilege and celebrate such an outpouring of support rather than push it away. A great example, I think, was Hillary Clinton's tweet, which did not detract donors giving to the Notre Dame, but instead used the moment to bring awareness of the churches in Louisiana that also needed funds. I appreciate how she communicated in terms of and this rather than instead of that. Thanks for reading and for being brave enough to be so honest on the show. Much love. Wow. Thank you for that email, Elise. Yes. Mm -hmm. Elise. I think that that is a really great point. And I really appreciate that you came out and gave us all this information because I didn't know that. I mean, I wasn't on the episode, but Mm -hmm. I didn't know that. I was one of those people that was like, what are you doing? Like, don't donate to the Catholic Church. And so, yeah, that, that totally makes sense. Like, the last thing that we ever want to do is to detract people from donating to the arts. That is not at all our goal. And like such a thoughtful message and a perfect accompaniment to what Corey and Ginny said, because I still firmly stand behind everything you guys said on the episode. And then this in addition to that, like this is all true. You guys weren't trying to negate any of the facts that she tries to make here. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I 
like hearing that and it's all super important to emphasize yeah and I mean that's I think this is just kind of the point of what we were talking about too where that there's no like clear consensus or right or wrong way to go about this and like we core I mean I'm speaking for both of us and I think you feel the same as like that episode was just working out a lot of our conflicting feelings and it was more just kind of like asking more questions than were answered <laughs> definitely but it, it is good to have more context and to a certain degree like of course we're like pro preservation historical monuments and sites of cultural heritage should be maintained and preserved and protected but you know there there's a whole lot of layers in this this particular example that I don't think would come up in other examples that we kind of touched on briefly but it's it's all very good to know for sure and i i mean i for one loved this email because you know this is this is how you have conversations like this is how you give feedback exactly she's jumping in from her perspective as a preservationist Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. like like none of us are preservationists it's not a um life path I plan on going down like so it's coming from the perspective of someone who's going to have a different viewpoint of this mm-hmm. and a valuable one definitely exactly I really appreciate you sharing it with us in a way that still you know it was in no way trying to downplay our thoughts and feelings like it was just like hey this is what this made me feel that's what we want that's what I, I love getting emails like that mm-hmm. that are challenging mm-hmm but are are very respectful of the fact that there are, you know, multiple ways of looking at this issue. This email was incredibly well written and very thought out and gave us some important information. Yeah. And I, I don't think in any way do we ever want to detract people from supporting the arts. No. And I don't think we were really. Nor nor were we trying to shame anyone. I don't think you guys were trying to shame. And I know that word was thrown in the email. I don't think she was like referring to you guys. I think she was speaking more in general, but like never are we trying to shame people. And if like we make you feel that way, it's not our intention. Honestly, for me, it came from a place like definitely not a shame place, but a place of like, dude, I'm fucking broke. Like I'm broke all the time. And like, I know a lot of like a lot of our listener base are not like super wealthy and stuff. And knowing, especially knowing what we know now that the Notre Dame, like there was a story I read recently that the Notre Dame well exceeded what it's going to cost to repair it. Knowing that they got the support they needed, Mm -hmm. they got all the money they needed. I just want my fellow poor folk to save their money, you know? (laughs) Yeah. It's been taken care of. A lot of money went, like more money than was needed did go to this project. If you're out there and you're like a poor student, but you're like an art history student and you want to like give to the arts, like you don't need to give to Notre Dame just because it's taken care of. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It definitely wasn't a place of shame. I don't think you need to feel any shame or or bad feelings if you gave money to a a cause, you know. (laughs) Also, like everyone's doing their part, like mad respect to people who are in preservation and doing that because I appreciate that kind of work and also do not have much interest in doing it. So I'm grateful for people who are doing that kind of work, Mm -hmm. just like any other kind of work that I think is valuable, but I don't have a direct hand in. So like- 
we have gratitude for that, but also we can't be experts on everything. And no. nor are we going to try to be? And we really appreciate thoughtful emails like that. Yeah. So again, thank you, Elise. Yeah, thank you, Elise. For um, filling us in. And for our listeners, just to echo what Corey said, they, they're good. They got the money. <laughs> Notre Dame will persevere (laughs) and if you're just itching to donate some money um (laughs) you should probably consider supporting organic farming because here's a fun fact um all of the (laughs) world's no idea that was where you were going yeah (laughs) i was so excited for where it was gonna be yeah yeah um all of the world's topsoil is gonna be gone in 60 years if we don't do something seeing as by 2050 the earth is going to have roughly around 9 billion people we should worry about that I'm not saying think, don't worry about art, yes. but I'm saying <laughs> worry about that. I was, I'm with you. And that's kind of the gist I, I got too. from you, you guys when you were talking was yeah. like, we have a lot to worry about. And yeah. Like, yeah. And I mean, just... there's there's always going to be a lot of things you can donate to and volunteer for. And and they all need help. It's just it's a it's a personal choice that you make what you donate your money money to your money your money choose wisely (laughs) yeah so choose wisely especially for those of us who don't have a lot to spare yeah i I plan on being alive in 30 years i would like to be i want to eat i plan on being alive and very wealthy so i can donate to all the causes i hope so i hope so (laughs) so yeah once the art history babes empire takes off and we can we can single-handedly rebuild the notre dame it'll be great Oh, wow. I'm telling everyone right now that if we ever come across... We'll build a Notre Dame on the fucking moon. Yeah, if we ever... (laughs) The four of us ever come across an exorbitant amount of cash, obviously, we will be doing a lot of uh, supporting the arts. But mostly, we're going to be combating the climate apocalypse. Yeah, so we're gonna fix that topsoil. Earth art. We're gonna yeah. We're gonna we're gonna merge earth art with yes. fixing our world. Earth art. Yeah. The new a, earth art. Fixing the earth. Something. Yeah. With this earth body stuff. The earth we're without what art is just. Eh. Have you guys seen that? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Think about it. (laughs) Think about it. Oh, man. All right. All right. All right. All right. Um, But yes, ultimately, thank you. Thank you so much, Elise. Yes, definitely. We hope you enjoyed our episode on Ana Mendieta. If you did enjoy it, if you enjoy the content we create, please consider (laughs) giving your $1 a month to the Art History Babes. It helps us keep making these podcasts and expanding into other realms and, you know, writing the book that we're writing. Yeah. Support our book writing. Go to (laughs) patreon.com slash art history babes boom yes not to mention you get a bonus monthly episode for one dollar a month that's twelve dollars a year that's that's that is a deal that's so good god (laughs) i am just impressed all right y'all well this has been a very interesting episode i learned a lot about anna mendieta i hope that if you didn't know who she was you are curious and you check out some of her work and as always we love you if you have any comments questions concerns send us an email one last shout out almost forgot art 
you got to head over to artandobject.com. They got all sorts of arts-related information, contemporary art updates and art historical information and fun things such as podcasts like ourselves. So please check out artandobject.com. Boom. All right. Sounds good. We love you. See you guys later. Have a good time. That fool's still alive, too. He's 83 years old. Like, just god damn it. And he's a Virgo? No. (laughs) God damn it. it ain't so. Pissing me off. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.